0: Okay, so we're walking through the book of Philippians. If you're first time here, we're at chapter 2. If you need to look in your index to find Philippians, that's cool. It's it's all good. It's kind of in the middle of the New Testament. It's a letter that Paul, who was a a follower of Jesus, one of the greatest missionaries of all time, wrote to a church he planted, and then he left and wrote back to the church. He writes this letter from prison, and so he was uh, falsely accused, he was imprisoned, and then He writes the church in a town called Philippi. This is a church he had started. Now, the interesting thing about that is this would indicate to us the things that were on his heart about that particular church. And today we're going to talk about conflict because conflict can really mess up a church. Now, last week he sort of started to say, hey, this is what you do. This is how you deal with people, conflict outside of the church. Today he's going to talk about conflict within the church and it is incredibly easy to find conflict I, I mean these are headlines from Thursday uh, I've got more uh, London attack ISIS claims followers was behind the rampage GOP health care plan hangs in the balance well that didn't even happen uh, government may have spied on the Trump team oh my word uh, Democrats intend to filibuster um, the SCOTUS nominee and then March madness marred by refs making really bad calls so um Conflict every place. (laughs) Just this morning, I mean, I'm I'm looking at the headlines. More than one attacker shoots 15, kills one in Ohio nightclub. Um, Let's see. uh, Corruption protests held across Russia. So it's not just us. Uh, Hamas shuts Gaza crossing, blames Israel for assassination. Um, Violence erupts at pro-Trump rally. I mean, on... And on and on. The other day the news was on at our house and Elise said, why do they only only show bad stuff? Well, they don't have to look very hard to find conflict to show. And so, in a world where we are exposed to conflict 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, and with 24-hour news, I mean, if you want to know about the conflicts in the world, you can find out about them all the time. So... What do you do about it? Now, we talked about last week, what do you do outside the church? Today, we're going to talk about what you do inside the church. Because the truth of the matter is that conflict is poison. And I don't know if you know this. You may not even know. Occasionally, churches have conflict inside the church. It's a shock. I I know. Uh, Who knew? I mean, we all believe in Jesus, and we all are really nice people. And we don't smoke and we don't chew and we don't go with girls that do. I mean, we all kind of have all that in common. And you'd think that we would get along. We don't always get along. And and so today's message was a lot about, hey, you all need to learn to get along. Now, what's super interesting to me is that every letter Paul writes, and he wrote several back to churches or to churches, every letter he writes to a church says something about unity. He writes to the Romans three or four times. He talks about, hey, be united. Uh, he writes of uh, the Galatian church. Uh, chapters 5 and 6 are about unity. He, he talks to the Ephesians church. Chapter 4 is about unity. Colossians, he writes this church in Colossae. Chapter 3 is about unity. He writes two letters to the Thessalonian church. He talks about unity. He writes two letters to the uh, Corinthian church. He talks about unity. Let me read, Just you don't have to look this up, but in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, so it's like the beginning of the letter, he talks about unity. He says, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say and and that there's no divisions among you, but that you are perfectly united in mind and thought. My brothers and sisters, some from Chloe's house have told me He got a visitor, and they were like, hey, dude, that church is, they are fighting. They are, there's church fight going on. Somebody from Chloe's house told me that there are quarrels among you. What I mean is this. One of you says, I follow Paul. Another, I follow Apollos. Another, I follow Cephas. Still another, I follow Christ. And then he says, is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? And he goes on and on. And he explains, listen, stop it. There are quarrels among you. That is a super interesting text. Because he uses, there are divisions based on personalities. Some of you guys really like the way Paul preaches. And he's Paul, so some of you guys like the way I preach. Some of you guys say, no, no, I'm a follower of Apollos. Different dude, different preacher. Some of you are followers of Cephas. That would be Peter. That's his uh, Hebraic name. Um, that, That is his Aramaic name, I should say. And so, it's interesting because there were even divisions among the church about the people they wanted to hear preach. Divisions. Now, again, last week he talks about, whatever happens, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ with those outside the church. Then, whether I come to see you or I hear about you in my absence, I'll know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. He's talking about this is how you relate to the outside world. But, but then he gets into, all right, this is how you behave with each other. Now, success, if we're to be successful as a church, the church universal, our church freedom fellowship, our little piece of the church, then we have to be united. It's, it's incredibly important to be united. And so today he gives us some uh, clues as to how we can live with one another in a united way. L- let me just a- ask the question: if you could reduce conflict in your life, would it make your life more joyful? I mean, we're probably not going to be able to eliminate stress or eliminate conflict, but if you could, if you're at like a nine-conflict level, if you could go down to a three, wouldn't that make your life more enjoyable? Well, so Paul says: hey, let me encourage you on how. To do this. So let's jump right in. Chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? And instead of is, you could say, since there is, or because uh, you are encouraged from belonging to Christ. Any comfort from love? Any fellowship together in the Spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together with one mind and one purpose. All right, he, the language here is pretty loaded, right? Any comfort from love, fellowship together, are your hearts tender and compassionate? Uh, don't we have some things in common? Can't we all get along? Can't we all agree on certain uh, tenets of the faith? That Christ died for us and that we love him and we want to obey him. And then he talks about... Um, Uh, In uh, agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, working together with one mind. He he uses these expressions about unity. Now, let, let me illustrate kind of churches a little bit. This is a jar of marbles, right? And there are lots of marbles in there. And there is a container that holds the marbles in. And some churches function like a jar of marbles. They're together, but really because of the container. Now, the container can be the building. The container could be the personality, just like we saw Paul talk about in the Corinthian church. The the container could be many different things. If you've been in church any time at all, you know that church personality plays a big role. And let's say a pastor um, gets in trouble. Or he leaves a church. Sometimes, when pastors leave churches, people go with them. This is this is kind of how it works a lot of times in churches. And there was a connection, not so much to each other, but to to a, a personality. Or and I've heard of this, um, especially back in the day when when church buildings were incredibly important to people, and they still are. But let's say your child was baptized in this building. This was the building. And the church grows out, they can't get any bigger in this building, so they decide to build a new building. Well, there were there were huge fights. And there may still be, I don't know as many as there used to be. But there were huge fights about the container because I, didn't, I don't want to give this building up because this is where my kid was baptized or this was where I got married. It's all about the container. And if you break the container, if... The personality leaves, or if you move buildings, then all of a sudden it's not the same anymore, and I don't have a connection like I used to. There's another way to do church. That's a way to do church, and that's the way a lot of people do church. It's the way a lot of churches are done. But there's another way. It would be like you have a magnet, and there is something attracted. We we are compelled to be attracted to something. Now In the case of the church, then the attraction, watch, is Christ. Something internal is holding us together. It's super cool, isn't it? Remember that deal when, when you were a kid, you had it, and you could make a little guy's beard and his hair with that, with a little magnet? It's kind of the same thing. So you have something that holds us together that's not external. It's something internal. People are drawn together by the power of Christ or by a unified purpose. There's something that keeps us connected. Now, in Ephesians, Paul, again, different church, but he talks about this. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Work like you can only... Make a constant, continued, um, tremendous effort to be united together. Because personally as a pastor, I think unity is easily the greatest task of spiritual oversight of any church. It is like if there's a top ten things that pastors and elders and church leaders should do, it is to do everything we can to maintain unity. And so Paul says, hey, uh, let me motivate you a bit. Let, Let me motivate you. So he starts, is there any encouragement, any comfort, any fellowship if if Christ is the thing that's holding you together, let me encourage you that this is what you should do. We should get along with one another. That's what he's saying. Now, encouragement is interesting, isn't it? Because sometimes, encouragement doesn't work out the way you think it's going to. Uh, this is a fitness tracker. Does anybody have one of those? Yeah, you wear them on your wrist. It shows how many steps you've taken. Uh, your activity level, your sleep, you know, you can. some of them are heart monitors and that sort of thing. And one would suspect, logically speaking, that if I wear a fitness tracker, I will be more fit. The notion is, it prompts me, like if I look at my fitness tracker at 5 o'clock in the afternoon, and I've taken two steps today... That maybe I should stop watching basketball and get up, uh, and walk into the kitchen and get a snack, uh, something like that. the The idea is, it's a, it's a bit of a, um, you're you're kind of shamed into doing the right thing, right? Because you haven't been active. This is what was really interesting to me. Uh, there was some research done. NPR did some research, and. They found that people who wear fitness trackers, get this, here's what it says, lost less weight than people who didn't wear them. Here's what happened. The author writes, These technologies are focused on physical activity, like taking steps, getting your heart rate up. But then the wearers of these devices would say, Oh, I exercised a lot today, now I can eat more. So, not the greatest of motivations. What Paul was trying to do in this text was to say, listen, because of what Christ did for you, because of his patience with you, because of grace given to you, because he so easily forgives you, you should, in turn, be patient with people. You should show grace to people. You should be kind to people. You should forgive them over and over, just like Christ forgives us, over and over. And Jesus said, listen, by this all men will know you're my disciples if you love one another. He he says this to his disciples. Let me paraphrase. Hey, Christians, it's going to make God really happy if you get along. The big idea for the day, I couldn't, I couldn't have said it, I don't think, any better. Our Heavenly Father wants His children to get along. I, I mean, He wants us to have unity. To, to not fight. To, to not be on each other's case all the time. He's saying, listen, I'm asking personally for something because of our relationship. Because here's the thing. Disunity and sin, it's not such a matter of, of you violating a, a system of religion or a system of theology or you, you sin against an organization. When we sin, we violate intimacy in that relationship. That relationship that we have with Christ. So he gives us some clues. Some, this is what you do. If you want to have unity, do these things. Let's look at them. We're going to look at four today. Number one, four practical steps for unity promotion. Number one, avoid making everything a competition. Now, i got to tell you, I love competition. I love it. I love to win. If I'm going to play, ain't no sense in playing if you're not going to try to win. Playing for fun, there's a word for that. It's called stupid. All right, so... uh, that's how I grew up, man. We, we played to win. We were there to win it, you know, and uh, there's no moral victories. That, moral victories are for losers. So uh, that, that's kind of... Preach, brother! Uh, thank you, Cliff. Thank you. Okay. Listen to these statistics. Workplace studies reveal, get this, that um, they, people were asked if a colleague had ever tried to make them look bad. That's competition, Right? Over 50% of the people said yes. Um, They were asked, which causes you more stress, um, the work level or co-workers? More than half said co-workers. Now listen to this one. When asked if they work with one or more annoying co-workers, 86% said yes. As a kid, there were sibling rivalries, and you tried to get over on your sisters or your brothers or whatever. and, And there was this constant competition to be the best. And it bleeds over into your adult life. I've got daughters, oh my word, they all played sports. I was the worst sports dad on the planet. I mean, horrible. Elise is now playing tennis. I'm older now. Elise is playing tennis. Do you know what they don't let you do in tennis? You can't can't even talk to your kid. I can't say, hit it harder. Because some little pencil neck... Jerk over here is going to look at me real mean. We don't do that hair. It's like, well, maybe you don't, but I do. I mean, this is, she's not hitting it hard enough. Who's who's going to tell her if I don't tell her? I can't say jack nothing. I have to sit there. Miriam is there. She's holding my arm. Every time she knows I'm about to say something, she squeezes. I mean, that's, it's like, we were, she was, Elise was playing this kid the other day. Cheating and um, i don't have evidence, but i 'm pretty sure anyway uh, she was pretty buff. I think she's on steroids anyway, well, she's playing this kid, she was in East Germany, so what can you anyway uh, she's playing this kid, and her dad this other kid's dad was at the fence instructing i 'm about to lose my mind i 'm sitting there like i'm supposed to. I've been instructed by our captain. Don't talk or you're going to be out. I mean, you know, I'm sitting there and Hans is yelling at his kid. Now, not everything is about competition. I, I watched Elise. There was a questionable call that didn't go the other kid's way. I'm like... Yes. I mean, that puts us ahead. We're ahead now. This is what we want. We want to be ahead. And I hear Elise say, let's just play it over. No. That's not what winners do. We don't play it over. We got the point. You only play it over when you lose the point. Not everything is about competition. I mean, I, I watched her and I thought, oh my word, Miriam has messed her up. I, <laughs> she's sweet and kind and she doesn't even want to step on the other kid's neck. And You know, it's like, okay, not everything is about competition. Th- this last football season, I know we're football fans here, but we're not particularly Cowboy fans. Are there, we have a couple of Cowboy fans. America's team. Thank you. Thank you, Cam. Last year, you remember the whole Cowboy thing. They have a great quarterback, Tony Romo, although he hasn't won any playoff games. But he's a nice guy. He gets hurt because that's what Tony Romo does. They had hired a kid out of Mississippi State, Dak Prescott. Prescott is just tearing it up. He's 8-1 and one at this time. And Tony Romo takes the podium, and and he says, basically he says, um, I'm well enough to play, but this kid has proven he's the quarterback. And I'm going to not make a scene, and I'm going to take a back seat. And then he says, Dak's earned the right to be our quarterback. I think Dak knows I have his back. I know that he has mine. Ultimately, it's about the team. It's what we've preached our entire lives. This could be Paul talking. Hey, it's about the team. Yes, are are there going to be differences within the body of Christ? Are we going to agree on everything? Absolutely not. We're just not. But he's saying, listen, we preach about it being a team effort. This is a team effort. We live in this super, hyper-competitive world, and we have to remember not everything is about winning. Sometimes it's about what's for the betterment of the team, not just me. And so if you're watching basketball and you, you look in, and it's, it's about teams. We're looking at people playing a team sport, and hopefully we're seeing uh, athletes sacrifice for the betterment Of the team. Number one, not everything's about a competition. Number two, you have to delete conceit. Do nothing out of vain conceit. There's... We live in a world of self-promotion. There's a lot of I stuff going on. I can do this and I can do that. And, And throughout the Bible it talks about this. Pride only breeds quarrels. When we start to think we're better than we are, or when we start to push an agenda that I'm better, we often end up in a really, really bad place, and it often, often leads to conflict. There's an old story, you may have heard it before, but the lion was sort of in a mood one day in the jungle, and he wanted to make sure everybody knew he was in charge, and so he goes up to the the monkey, and he roars, who's the king of the jungle? And the monkey kind of, you know, scurries up the tree and says, you are, oh, mighty lion, sees the zebra and he roars at the zebra zebra who's the king of the jungle and the zebra kind of trots off but as he's running he's you are almighty oh mighty lion and then the lion sees a turtle and same question he roars at the turtle who is the king of the jungle and the turtle you know scared kind of out of his shell and he shells up and he says through the shell you are Almighty oh mighty lion you know because that's the way if you if you're a turtle you talk out of your shell And then the lion goes up to the elephant and says, who's the mightiest in the jungle? And the elephant picks him up, you know, by the tail and swings him around and throws him in the mud and the lion goes, well, if you don't know the answer, you don't have to get mad. Uh, There's a a notion that we have to be self-promoted. I have to dim your light to make my light shine brighter. Like, I can't just be discovered. I, I have to make you look bad in order for me to look good. The fifth century bishop Augustine or Augustine said that the essence of sin is Latin. See, every Sunday you can go to all your Baptist friends and say, "I learned Latin at my church." That's where's the fifth gate. All right, Latin in, curva, in curvitas, maybe uh, in curvitas in se, which literally means it's curving up in up in ourse, uh, on ourselves, curving on oneself. It, it is this notion that everything is self. Focused. Do nothing out of selfish ambition. Number three. This is perhaps the most difficult one. Alleviate criticism. Look at what he says. Rather in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. Value others. Now when he says, um, look not to your own interests, but to the interests of others. uh, In humility, value others above yourself. He's not saying, hey, they're better than you. He's just saying they deserve respect. They're equal to you. They are also created in the image of God. Every person we encounter, even people who annoy us, are are and have been created in the image of God. Super important to remember. I forget it all the time. I can't tell you how easily I'm annoyed with people. I mean, it could be as simple as at Costco, Uh, somebody bumped my cart, what were they thinking? They're on their phone, it's like, get off your phone! Uh, But um, I don't say it out loud. It's internal, right? Because you you don't want to say that out loud. But it's easy to be critical. Listen, humility isn't thinking less of yourself, it's rather just thinking of yourself less. It's sort of, well, look at how James puts it. If you criticize and judge each other, then you're criticizing and judging God's law. Um, Your job is to obey the law, not to judge whether it applies to you. Your job is to treat people with kindness. Your, Your job is to not run into somebody else's cart, and if you do, to apologize. Your job is to be the best you you can be, not to criticize somebody else for not being the best they they can be, them they can be. God alone, who gave the law, is the judge. He alone has the power to save or destroy. So, what right do you have to judge your neighbor? It is a sin to be critical, to be hypercritical of people. And we live in a world, we have movie critics, we have music critics, we have sports critics. Somebody is criticizing something all the time. 24 hours a day, you can find criticism about something. Oswald Chambers said this, there is always one fact more in every man's life about which we know nothing. He's what he's saying is that lady who ran into my cart on the phone, she may have been dealing with a dying mother. I don't know. Maybe she didn't have focus because something really bad was going on in her life. It could be that she was just a jerk, but there's probably something behind that. Maybe she's a jerk because her husband's running out on her. Man, who knows? There's something about every person's life that you don't know, and they are probably acting that way for a reason that you aren't privy to. We're called to be less critical. Do, do we know what's in the heart of another person? I mean, do you can can you judge <laughs> another person's motives wives sometimes say to their husbands I know just what you're thinking does she really know I mean if she's wrong it's frustrating if she's right it's more frustrating I mean really it it could just be really really frustrating but criticizing makes us feel superior I, I would never run into somebody's cart really I would never not use my blinker. (laughs) Really? Really? I would never do that. I would never do this. Really? If you were distracted, if you had something going on in your life, yeah, you you might. You might. Fourth, be considerate. Let each of you look not only to your own interests, to your self-interest, but also to the interests of others common courtesy we just need to we need to practice in in the world and especially amongst ourselves common courtesy when he says each of you should look the greek word is scopos from which we get like if a gun you have a scope it means you have to look for it you have to really watch to have these opportunities to be considerate. Because God provides opportunities to be considerate all the time. One author recently wrote that in America we are experiencing a tsunami a tsunami of rudeness. That's true, man. I mean, it is so true. And so, you're in line at the store and it's about your turn and you're on the phone and the cashier is there. And you turn off your phone because that is what courteous people do. And you say to the person you're talking to, I'll call you right back, but I'm about to check out. And I want to give this person who is made in the image of God, this person who's going to help me purchase these items, I'm going to give this person my undivided attention because they deserve it as a human being made in the image of God. They deserve my respect. They they deserve it. And I don't care if it's Somebody that doesn't look like you or act like you, they deserve our respect. What, whatever happened to saying please and thank you, those things are still applicable today. And at home, it could be as simple as just pick up after yourself. Leave the last piece of fried chicken for the daddy who bought it. I mean, that is courtesy. Can I get a witness? I mean, Yes. on the road every once in a while maybe let somebody cut in it's okay if our ambition was to drive in such a way that we're all on the same team we we just my daddy was a truck driver and that competitive thing with me it is really in driving it really is there yesterday some guy came up on me hard now, internally, my internal uh, thing goes, <laughs> are you going to drive through me? I, I, that's kind of that's what I was thinking. It's like, you can't go through me, I don't think. And then he zips around. And, and I took such a measure of joy. It was sinful, frankly. We got to the stoplight, and I was in front of him. I, I mean, it was like, I could hear the angels literally singing, Hallelujah, you're better than that guy. I mean, it was awesome. It was one of the greatest moments of my life. My dad worked at a factory um, when he was younger. <laughs> my, I wish you had known my father. He 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 just said so many funny things. And he was talking about, he didn't work in a factory long. He was a truck driver for most of his career. But he worked in a factory a little bit. And um, he, he said, <laughs> one day he worked eight hours and looked at the clock and it only moved ten minutes. So uh, his, uh, his experience in the factory wasn't very positive. But one of his tasks was to... Um, to load light bulbs boxes of bulbs onto shelving, and he had a coworker who was short. My dad was about my, my height, about six one and his coworker was quite a bit shorter, and there was a shelf that his coworker couldn 't reach, but he still had he was supposed to be able to put that up there and my dad, for this guy, without Saying, "Hey, man, you want me to do this?" Would just take the boxes for him and put him on the top shelf. Put him on the top. He didn't want to embarrass him, but he helped him. Thirty years later, thirty years later, this guy I overhear a conversation between him and my dad. Now, they had done this in their twenties. Now these men are, you know, in their fifties. They're 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 old men like me. And and this this guy who received help from my dad, unsolicited help. Had never forgotten that. He he thanked him again 30 years after the fact. Lawrence, thank you for helping me. The guy had tears in his eyes. Now, little things that we do. Tipping our server appropriately. If we're sitting at the restaurant and... Somebody comes in and they're, you know, we're waiting there and they come in and they're older than us and we give them our chair. Or it's a lady and you give her your seat. Will those things change the world? Yeah. (laughs) At least our world. If we could have. Instead of a tsunami of rudeness, if we could have a tsunami of compassion, if we could have a, a tsunami of courtesy, could be kind to each other, who, who knows what could happen? Let each of you not only look to your own interests, he says. He, ta- he talks about being like-minded. That doesn't mean that we agree on everything. Intel is a corporation, you know of them. They have a policy they call disagree and commit. I, I read about it this week. L- let me read it to you. The principle essentially mandates that leaders driving decisions show up prepared to speak their minds freely, even if it means heated discussions. Your obligation is to agree or disagree, to speak openly about your position. The conflict, the tension, and the debate is healthy as long as the people focus on the problem, the issue, and not one another. And at the end of the meeting, however it turns out, everyone commits to the decision made regardless of whether you agree or disagree. We are a church focused on... Reaching people for Christ. Let's quickly review. To promote unity, we avoid making everything a competition. We delete conceit. We sort of take our egos out of the equation. We alleviate criticism. We enhance consideration. But lest we're not all on the same page, let's be reminded. Our mission as a church is to go and make disciples. More disciples, better disciples. We who are disciples are to get better at being a disciple. We're to grow in our faith. We're to grow in our giving. We're to grow in our loving. Those of us who aren't yet disciples, we're praying that you become a disciple. Our ambition, our mission from Christ, is to go and make disciples. We can have complex mission statements and vision statements. Ultimately, if you boil it all down, this is what we're to do. Go and make disciples. More and better when we focus on, hey, this is what we're about, then it promotes unity. Paul would say, listen, above all else, this is incredibly important. Promote unity. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for our church, for the opportunity we have to practice what we preach. We have an opportunity to make you happy by getting along with one another, your children. Make us mindful that this is your ambition for us and help us to do it really well. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.